Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. We're in a series on Proverbs and uh, just a couple of more weeks. And again, we've made the point each week that the, the front half of the book uh, is, is, is kind of an introduction. The like, first nine chapters are, are kind of poems around a theme. Again, you guys are like, you've told us this. So I just want to tell you again, just so we remember. And, 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 but the intention of those poems, again, is to woo us, right? I mean, it's really to woo, woo. It's a, it's a beautiful word, right? But I, I think it's a helpful when we think about Proverbs. It's meant to like, uh, just to kind of draw us into uh, the, the fact that God has a wisdom for our lives. Young or old, right? Various stages of life are addressed in the Proverbs, various scenarios and circumstances that, that God's wisdom has, has um, a, a value for kind of the nuts and bolts like physical lived out places of our lives. And so it's not surprising then that, you know, so much time in this book would be given to just, because often, you know, that well, that's not a place culturally from which we start. And so Proverbs pulls us into just considering the truth, the fact that God has a wisdom for life. And so we spent the first few weeks there and we made some observations there that have popped up over and over again, like, like wisdom is not just about having the right information. It's not just intellectual. If it were just intellectual, I mean, come on, we, we know how to be good friends. We know what makes for the wise handling of money. Uh, we, we know, uh, again, last week we looked at anxiety. Like there are things that we know. Like if it were just here, well, well the application of that wisdom would be fairly easy. But Proverbs admits it's not just here that there is like a heart space. Our hearts are bent and we'll see that same theme again this morning. So we've looked at a different theme each week more recently since July 4th. Uh, you know, we've looked at finances, we've looked at friendships, last week again anxiety. Uh, this week another one, uh, they're just kind of sweeping in their application, uh, but this one, uh, this week the theme that pops up over and over again in Proverbs, and we'll consider uh, one of them here in just a moment, is the theme of our, our words, speech. And, and on, the, on one hand you're like, Really? You know, you got like all the big things Proverbs seems to talk about and like uh, of all the themes you could have chosen, you know, this one. But it's interesting to me and we'll consider this maybe generally, but uh, we just I'm thinking about the fact and I think Proverbs will affirm it this morning this morning that words matter, right? They matter. And I want to suggest to you that uh, you know, again, Lots of academic ink has been spent on how they matter, the way in which they matter, the way in which they correspond to like the real world. But we know uh, just from lived experience that, that, that we, we feel it, like words matter, they matter. Uh, you know, maybe you've worked, maybe you've worked in, a, in, a, in an environment uh, that was full of toxic words then maybe it was negative or critical or uh, I don't know what the nature of those words might have been, but you've worked in that environment and, and you have felt, you've seen it sort of erode at the morale of a, of a work environment just through the nature of the, the words and the way in which they were spoken. Maybe you've, uh, maybe you've seen the turnover in that work environment that, uh, to prove it, right? I, I don't know what the, the particular space is for you, but we, we, we know they matter. You, you probably have felt it over the last, man, well, you know, a, ages, but the last year and a half, right? Even just if you consider headlines, right? Uh, again, the way in which words matter specifically has been a, has, has been a relevant topic in our culture. 
and political news and, and cultural news, uh, even in sort of pop culture news, right? The way in which words matter. Uh, I've been struck recently uh, about uh, apologies, right? <laughs> the way in which apologies, that specific type of word seems to function. I mean, it's been a part of the, of the cultural conversation, right? Again, however we land on the way in which they matter, I think it's pretty clear that we can see they have an effect, right? They divide, they unite, they incite, they destroy, right? They build up. I mean, they, 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 they matter. Um, even just, again, just online, right? If, if you just sort of leave the sort of real world of spoken words to the like, you know, digital space of our speech. Again, I, I've been struck a couple times recently over the last week and preparing for this morning and uh, uh, just uh, reading some thoughts on apologies, like the online apology over words that were spoken often years ago, but that continue to have a very real world effect. Uh, on the lives of those uh, who spoke them, but also uh, to whom the lives of those to whom they were spoken, to, to whom they were spoken to. Uh, that's bad grammar. Need to work on my words. But give me a moment. Uh, which, which again, all of that to say, whatever that expression or that experience is for us, it's not surprising to me that Proverbs uses such dramatic language. And sort of the one we maybe typically go to, these are not on the screen, but Proverbs 18, 21, uh, again, it feels really dramatic, but it seems to hit close to home. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, right? And you will, whichever way you choose uh, there, you will enjoy or eat the fruits thereof, right? I mean, I just, you're like, what's the tie-in with the Olympics? Well, it seems to me that Proverbs seems to make an Olympic sport, Right? out of the way in which we speak, that it deserves the same kind of like intensity and preparation. The stakes are that high. This sort of activity that we engage in all the time, often thoughtlessly, uh, now with the digital age, often anonymously, right? This, this activity that is such a part of just how we function in the world, Proverbs says, Proverbs says riding on that moment uh, is life, life or death, right? Again, the stakes are just very high. Consider a couple of other examples, right? Um, and should you choose to refuse to consider them, I'm going to read them anyway. So just hang on and then we'll come back, right? Proverbs 11, 9. Uh, this is what the, the, the wisdom teacher says. With, with, with speech, the godless person destroys a neighbor. But knowledge, the knowledge of the righteous can, uh, with knowledge, the righteous will be delivered. So with speech, you can destroy a neighbor. Proverbs 12, 18. Speaking recklessly, oh, this one, oh, speaking recklessly is like the thrust of a sword. This is a vivid language, right? But the words of the wise can bring healing. Proverbs 15, verse 4, speech that heals. It's like a life-giving tree. But perverse speech breaks the spirit. I, again, like, whoa, buddy, it's just words, right? Just a conversation. Like, dial it back a little bit, right? You know, I mean, I, you know, we all speak rashly sometimes. Yet here Proverbs sort of lays this Olympic-sized weight of intensity over the words that we speak, which, which leads me to the one proverb I want to reflect on this morning, why I think this proverb is not uh, surprising. I used to be, yeah, this is kind of strange, but, you know, given the weight placed on words, this proverb makes a lot of sense. Hopefully I've piqued your interest enough. You're like, what, what proverb is he going to read, right? Yeah? All right. Proverbs 10, verse 19. Here we go. 
And uh, uh, this is, uh, I'll read, here we go. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Who talks like that? I know. So let me give it to you in a more of like modern vernacular here. Uh, How about this one? Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. There's Proverbs for you, right? Uh, or, or, Or this one. The more talk, the less truth. The wise measure their words. And everyone who has felt the pressure of a friend or a spouse to be more communicative rejoices and says, no, look, right? I don't have to talk or share. Uh, uh, it's too personal. Okay, sorry. Uh, right? It just, it, it, this makes a lot of sense. After all the weight that Proverbs has put on words, right? Well, that makes a lot of sense. You're, uh, man, that wrapped up in this really common everyday exercise of speech and how we talk, Proverbs would land on the truth that, man, you know, there's a, this is, there's a lot of like risk reward here. So maybe just play it safe and say less, right? Right. I mean, that's the feeling we get from this proverb. You know, the stakes are really high. There's potential for great reward, but man, the, the, the danger of risk also very real. So maybe, maybe just dial it back a little bit and say less. And the introverts like myself rejoiced. And you're like, but you're on a microphone. Maybe apply that proverb this morning, man. I don't know. Well, well, let, let, me, let me think about it uh, with you. I'll invite you to think about it with me for just a, a, a moment, right? There is this initial invitation. Maybe maybe there's wisdom in using less words or, or in using words less, right? That, that uh, maybe just don't talk as much, Proverbs seems to be saying. I, mean, I, I think this makes sense to us. But if I could maybe help a little bit. Uh, so there's a, a little volume called The Elements of Style written some years ago uh, by a professor about writing, right, about the way we use language in the written form. And, and actually the author of uh, Charlotte's Web was a part of uh, editing sort of newer editions of this book around the 1950s. And um, uh, one of the rules in this book, number 17 uh, specifically, uh, was omit needless Words Again, you're like, Matt, some self-application here would be good, right? Just omit needless words. How often I lay my head on the pillow at night and think, if I had only omitted, right? How many needless words have I said uh, today? It reminded me, it reminded me, I think I shared it on Father's Day when, you know, it was like fatherly advice. I'd ask my dad, you know, did he have any advice he remembered from his dad? And I'd never met my granddad in a way to remember him. And one of the, some of the counsel he, my dad had received from his dad was if you don't say it, you never have to take it back, right? I'm like, wait, that's in Proverbs. You know, here I was like, all right, all right. But, uh, you know, this, this, this feeling of, of uh, there is danger, potential danger in how we use our words. And if you've ever been around people ever in your life, you know this to be true. And I think the, the, the more and closer you're around people, you probably feel it even more because it just has a way of finding its way out. I, I, I have twin daughters who were eight and uh, almost nine, which is nuts. And, and uh, we've been, we just finished the first book in a, in a new series that, or the series isn't new, but it's new to us. It's called The Incorrigible Children of Ashton Place. 
the incorrigible children of, of Ashton Place. And it's been a fun ride. We've been listening to it on audiobook. And uh, it's about some orphan children who I think have been either raised by wolves or lived among wolves. There's a lot of mystery around the, uh, their origin. And uh, we made it all the way through the book. We finished it yesterday. Right? We finished it yesterday. It left us on a cliffhanger. We're real excited about what comes next. And we got done with the book. And one of my children said, what does incorrigible mean? <laughs> like we've... We've clearly messed up, right? Somewhere along the way, like, what, 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 uh, what do you think it means now that we've listened to this entire book of which this word is in the title? And so, you know, I know we had had this conversation before because I'm like, I don't know what incorrigible means. Let's look it up, right? Like, but, but so we stepped into it again, this, this notion of sort of being unruly, incapable of reform, I think is a technical definition. It sounds a lot like a description that scripture gives us of our tongue, Right? That, 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 that this part of our lives that is such a regular part of who we are is incorrigible. Right? It is unruly, Scripture says, over and over and over again. Scripture has a lot, right? uh, has a lot to say, and we don't have to hit it all this morning. We've seen uh, an example from Proverbs. Uh, but look, consider this, right? This is sort of a moment in the history of, of the people of Israel. A prophet by the name of Isaiah gets a big book in the Old Testament. Uh, he has this sort of beautiful moment where God shows up in his life. And uh, notice what he says in this particular moment as he has this incredibly overwhelming sense of who God is. Isaiah chapter 6. And his response in that moment, woe is me. Like, oh man, I am small. You are big. But then he says, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Of all the places he could have gone, these are the people who had built like golden calves and stuff, right? He, he could have gone any number of places, but where he went for the expression of their brokenness was uh, how they, uh, their lips, again, interesting. Paul in Romans, again, this dense, significant formative book in the shape and life of the church in the New Testament, right? Trying to make sense of what Jesus had done and who he is and was. Paul in that moment giving us a description in Romans 3 of sinfulness, of what it means to be broken. Of all the places he could have gone in this moment, listen to what he says. None is righteous. No, not one. And then he, he fleshes that out. We use our tongues to deceive. Our mouths are full of curses and bitterness, Again, like of all the things that could have been on this list. And then there's James in the New Testament. Uh, James, you may be familiar, James is a kind of New Testament proverb. Uh, uh, the, the collection of his writings really is, it comes at us like a, like a proverbs in the New Testament. And James will tell us over and over again, uh, kind of large sections of all the wisdom he could have given the early church will be spent on the unruliness of the tongue in the community, right? That how we talk, to each other. We know this as families. We know it as friends. We know it as spouses. We know it as coworkers. And as Christians living in community together, people of different stages of life, different experiences, somehow brought together around this difference that Jesus has made. James will spend a lot of time on, on the effects of speech in this space. Despite all the time I've just spent on it, my aim here, I don't think, is to convince you that the tongue is incorrigible. Right? You probably know this already. Probably. You probably carry scars uh, that are evidence of that fact in your heart and life. Um, so, my, my, again, my goal is not to, to, to convince you of 
it, but just to acknowledge the scripture is sort of comprehensive and maybe there's some merit to using less words, Proverbs says, right? But, but why? Like what, what motivation, aside from this like risk reward, I think, I think this proverb that we've looked at here um, helps us a little bit, right? This, this proverb that more talk means less truth, the wise measure their words, Proverbs 10, verse 19. I think it gives us another reason. And that reason is, is we're invited to use less words because words are revealing, right? They're revealing, they're revelatory. Even the small ones, uh, Proverbs, you know, the stakes are high because words are uh, revelatory. They reveal specifically, uh, as we kind of step into this, what's in the, what's in the heart, uh, the, the language in our Proverbs that, you know, there's potential for sin is all wrapped up in there. Uh, the Proverbs, again, right, and probably your own experience have all already made it clear uh, to you, right, that there's risk-reward here. But, but this, this bit of wisdom says that maybe we use less words because words are re- revealing. And what they reveal, uh, I'm thinking of the words of Jesus here, are, are, the, are the heart, the depths of the heart. And if we're honest, right, Proverbs, I think, has helped us here. Given the choice, we'd probably all much prefer to keep sort of the contents of what happens in here to ourselves, right? Um, This is a space that we would much prefer to keep under wraps. Uh, Maybe, you know, culturally between me and the big guy, however you want to phrase that, between me and a therapist, all all these different spaces. Like, this is a space that is, that wants to just, we don't, we don't often want this just out there. And Proverbs says, well... That's great, but interestingly, this sort of way in which you move through the world, uh, it says something. It, it reveals something. Words flow from our hearts, and as we've noted over and over again in Proverbs, our hearts are deeply, deeply broken. I, if I could, I'll take you back to that riveting book on writing style. You, I could tell by the look in your eyes. You're like, man, I hope he circles back to that. I... Uh, I could get that title. I, I just would, I'm working on my texts, and I want to text a little more efficiently. So, um, okay, maybe not. But this is, what, uh, this is what he said specifically about the call to omit needless words. And uh, uh, this is, vigorous writing is concise. A sentence should contain no unnecessary words. A paragraph, no unnecessary sentences. For the same reason that drawings should contain no unnecessary lines. And a machine, no unnecessary parts. And you're thinking a sermon, no unnecessary points, right? This, this requires not that the writer make all of his sentences or her sentences short. Or that they avoid all detail and treat their subjects only in outline form. But it requires that every word tell. It requires that every word tell, and, right? That, that, that every word carries its, its weight. What strikes me is that Proverbs seems to be telling us that that is in fact true. Every word is telling. Every word is, is telling, is, is revealing something of the nature of what's going on inside of us. Jesus, right? Jesus in Luke 6, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. That words tell something. They say. You, you can almost, I think you can almost hear Proverbs pleading with us. Man, be careful with your words. Because words are telling, particularly of the condition of your heart. And, and I, I, you know, I tried to think of applications here. And 
that some of them were too personal. And uh, but if we go back to the example of like toxic words in the work environment, I, I, I don't know. Like you, you could probably think about situations like that, and it's not hard to kind of step maybe behind the nature of those words and, and discern perhaps hearts that are insecure or that are struggling to perform or measure up. And, and out of sort of that kind of deeper working of the heart comes this need to kind of tear people down around us. Again, that's one possible space, but uh, you could find application in any number of ways. Uh, it, it's interesting to me that in the Bible, that as the biblical writers want to make the case for the brokenness of the human heart, right? We call it sin. Over and over again, the place they seem to start is the tongue. That when they want to make their case for man, you know, sometimes life, uh, our hearts are broken, are sinful, that repeatedly they come back to the tongue, which raises the question, because like, man, again, Pastor Matt, where's the good news? We're almost there. We're almost there. But, but it raises the question, well, what do we do with this knowledge? I think we can do some practical things, right? Maybe you've done like, you know, incentives in your life or you remember, you know, kind of like a tip jar where compliments sort of get, you know, a, a something and, you know, a negative speech gets a demerit of some kind. Or I, I don't know what that wants to be. I've heard one guy describe it like, you know, stop and count to 10. Maybe that's a motivation for you. And their observation was like, well, that just gives me more time to pile up the ammunition, ammunition I want to fire at whoever I'm talking to. And maybe that's you as well. Uh, I, I, my mind went to the office, as you do, right? Uh, if those of you not familiar, a character in the office, his name is Dwight Schrute. And um, you may remember a scene in that show where he's like, uh, he jumps in his car to speed off and rescue his boss and in, in collide, like runs into like a light pole. He's okay, but has a small concussion. You guys, some of you maybe remember this moment. Uh, and in an effort to keep him conscious, right, recognizing now he's had a concussion, he keeps wanting to fall asleep, and they're rushing him to the hospital. Jim, his coworker, and, and I guess friend, it's hard to say, uh, but Jim fills a little bottle with water. And every time Dwight starts to, like, drift to sleep, just spritzes him in the face, right? I should have brought one for, like, effect. Because I'm like, this is what my incorrigible tongue needs, right? This is what I need. If, if we just have this kind of thing, right, that every time I start to say something um, divisive or damaging to my children, right, every time I start to blow them off with kind of a cavalier remark, every time I, I wanted to sort of lean into the brokenness of my own heart, dealing with my own junk, and it comes out in the way I speak to someone else, just a quick, like, spritz in the face. Oh yeah, don't say that, right? Like that, that seems really practical, but uh, again, I'll turn to pop culture. I think it was a Coen Brothers movie, the scene with Ralph Fiennes trying to, trying to coax a, a kind of country boy actor out of his accent. So say this with me, would that it were so simple? You guys want to try it? Would that it were so simple? Yeah? Would that it were so simple? Are you guys familiar with the scene at all? Probably not. It makes for great comedy. Would that it were? Would that it were? Would that it were so simple? And, and I think when I hear uh, the reminder that my words uh, carry life and death, right, feels dramatic, but man, right, there's a lot of risk reward here. Would that it were so simple, just a spritz in the face, you know, just like, hey, hey, whoa, buddy, 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 don't, don't, don't say that. Would that it were so simple, but Proverbs has acknowledged to us it is not because our hearts are broken. And we speak from our hearts. So naturally, our words are broken, uh, which, again, brings us to the good news of the gospel, which Micah read for us this morning. 
That the, I'm sorry, Aaron. Aaron read for us this morning. We laughed about that earlier. Man, oh yeah. Uh, which Aaron read for us this morning. All right, the, the, there is this initial admission, this confession. Just acknowledging my, my words are broken because my heart is broken. But that confession is meant to drive us to the good news. It's meant to, to drive you and me into, uh, into uh, a relationship with, with Jesus, the one whose scripture says controlled his tongue in every circumstance and under every pressure in every way. You, you, you may recall from last week the observation of scripture that when our hearts condemn us, when the brokenness of our hearts finds its way out in the brokenness of our words, when our hearts condemn us, the gospel draws us back to a promise that Aaron read for us this morning in Psalm 145. That while our, wor- our words too often fall frequently short, uh, Proverbs 145, 14 reminds us the Lord is faithful in all of his words. The Lord is faithful in, in all of his words, right? So, so what happens here, right? The inability of uh, the, the sort of incorrigible nature uh, of your tongue and, and mine and my inability admitted in Scripture over and over and over and over again to, to tame it drives me to Jesus, the one whom Isaiah says, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter as a sheep before its shearers silent. He did not open his mouth. What an interesting observation. Right? That that this proverb pulls you and me into the confession that we are broken even in our speech. Because they're all, I'll just acknowledge. I kind of want to wave at them, maybe. And they've gone by like slowly a couple times. Maybe they want to come check it out, right? This doesn't happen frequently. I know it's a surprise given all the glass, but uh, right? That, That that the Proverbs pulls us into the confession, my words are broken because my heart is broken. And my heart finds its healing in the one whose words are always faithful, who always has the right and faithful word that, that Psalm also, the Psalm also tells me uh, is expressed in the kindness of his works, that he is surprisingly merciful with all of my brokenness. Jesus, as we see over and over again in the Gospels, has a way of speaking to my self-righteousness, exposing it for what it is, but also has a way of speaking to my brokenness and shame in a way that, that brings healing and wholeness because all his words are faithful. So maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you have felt the sting of the words of another. Right? You, you, maybe you carry in your heart and life the sting of words that should have been omitted. And maybe that scar is fresh for you, or you think it's a thing of the past, and yet it finds its way up at an opportune moments in your life. Maybe you have lived under them or with them, carried them, ex- exhausted so much energy and, and effort trying to outrun them or, or outlive them or disprove them. Maybe that is you this morning. Proverbs, the gospel invites you into healing to hear the one who speaks over you, one whose words are always faithful and whose works are kind. But but maybe you're here this morning and you're kind of on the other side of that equation. You are painfully aware, painfully aware of the fact that there have been times when those words have been yours. Those words have been yours and you have spent energy trying to make up for that mistake, trying to draw those words back, trying to forget or deny or, or outlive or disprove 
things you wish you had omitted. To all of us, the invitation is the same. Healing for that space in your life and mine, it's not in a water bottle, not in a spritz in the face. Healing for that space for you and me is found in the one who is faithful and true, the one whose words are always faithful and whose works towards you are kind. Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at parkcitykc.com.